Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. We hope that these messages encourage and inspire you in your personal journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Before I, I, I go any further, I, I want to, um, if you haven't, and I haven't, taken Discipleship You with Pastor Steve, I, I want to encourage you that take that class. I don't know what it's about, but I know that Jesus called us to make, to be disciples of nations. So it's important for us to be able to make disciples. We first have to be a disciple. So if you have not had the privilege or opportunity to do that, you need to. It'll be worth any investment of time uh, that you can give to that. Amen? All right, let's get into it. Um, I was here last year and it was, um, it was probably a week before I went, because I live in Florida now, it was a week before I was here, and then that following week, I went back to Connecticut to my 20-year high school reunion. And have you ever run into somebody that you haven't seen in like 20 years, and you said, good Lord? <laughs> um, it, it, good, good or bad, like, have you said, what, wow, this person is different. I remember, even good, there was even a particular individual that I ran in that was like, mean, mean person. And they were so nice and so kind-hearted. And you just asked, like, what happened for that to be able to take shape? Like, someone that was so different is so, someone that was in such a way, but is now so different. You ask, man, this is this is crazy. This person is so different. And some people are the same that they've been. They look the same. They act the same. They dress the same. They're talking about the same things that they were 20 years ago. Come on, like talking about the glory days. Like Pastor G talks about his glory days in bas- playing basketball all the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> So you run into somebody and they're different. So this was Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, who's known for writing over a third of the New Testament, has written all these letters to these different churches that he planted. He was a murderer of Christians. He was an antagonist. He was a legalist. He was a persecutor. His name was Saul of Tarsus. So how does Saul become Apostle Paul? How does a man who was known for his zeal to kill people, become the leader of the very people he earnestly sought to kill. Crazy thought. How does a man who calls Jesus a blasphemer, who calls his followers blasphemers and liars, and soon call this same man of Jesus God, Lord and Savior, how does this happen? Here's what, the first thing I want you to recognize is that when we come in contact with Jesus, with a risen Savior, things should change. Now, I know uh, we're here in the Bible Belt, and, and it's crazy because it's like I'm from Florida, and my blood is thin, and I'm like freezing. It, it is cold here, but um, amen. Um, that from afar, we look at Dallas, Fort Worth, and this is like the Mecca of Christianity, like this is a place where, where I'm from in Florida. It is a very transient area. And going to church and Christianity is not a part of the culture, if, you, if I can say it like that. Where here, 
Uh, it would maybe seem, even from afar, I know that that's not the case. I know not everybody goes to church, not everybody's saved, but it would seem that church going is an embedded part of the culture here in Dallas-Fort Worth, would you not say? And it's, it's an interesting thing because when Christianity is part of the culture, one of the dangers that can exist is apathy. What can exist is familiarity. This idea, you may have heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. So what does it mean to be a new creation? Paul is saying this. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is coming from the context of the encounter that he had with Jesus, and it changed something radically in his life. Now, we may all not, you may know the story or maybe not, but Paul was knocked off a horse. He was blinded and God, Jesus came to him in a vision and spoke to him and said, why are you persecuting me? And now many of us may not ride horses. Well, some of you here in Texas, I'm sure you do. Come on. Like, there is an opportunity for an encounter, a unique encounter with Jesus, even for those of us that have grown up going to church. For those of us that are more seasoned, there's an opportunity for still an encounter to take place and for a radical transformation to take place. This is the context. Paul was not, when he said this, he was not thinking about a regeneration or a gradual transformation. He was thinking of a radical transformation that would take place in our lives. He was made a new creation. God intervened got rid of the old, and brought in the new. Transformation happened. This is Paul's assumption. As a new creation, our lives should forever be changed. So why am I talking to you about this? You guys already go to church. Many of you know about Jesus. Why why am I talking about being a new creation? Here's why. I'm going to say a term, and you're going to say, that doesn't make sense. But hear me out. We, we live in a day and age where we are seeing the rise of the Christian atheist. We're like, that what? Uh, the what? That does, that's an oxymoron. That's like jumbo shrimp. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Like, that, Christian atheist, those two things don't go together. What is, this, what is this thought? What is this idea of a Christian atheist? And it's a, it's a person that says they believe in God, but they live as if he doesn't exist. Their lifestyle, the evidence seen in their life doesn't match up with what they confess. We confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but we live like the rest of the world. There is no distinction. There is no distinct transformation. Why do we live in this, this state? We say a prayer. We attend church. But nothing seems to change. And we live in such a way where if we think that sowing and reaping is no longer a reality. Galatians 6 talks about, do not be deceived for God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he reaps. And the stats related to divorce, addiction, are are almost identical to what the world experiences and what Christians experience. Why is this, my friends? We, and and here's, I heard it said like this. We expect outsiders to live like insiders 
while insiders act like outsiders. So we're stuck in this place of attempting to be culturally relevant and not be off-putting and offending people with our lifestyles and our convictions. But what we end up doing is subjecting ourselves to the same ills, the same uh, perspectives that the world has, that those that don't know Jesus have. And what that does it creates confusion and skepticism amongst non-believers. They look at us and they look at the lifestyle of a Christian and they see that there is no difference between the issues of addiction and divorce and depression and anxiety. And they say, there, what value is there for me in this walk that you're confessing to say is so great? What I see is arrogance and being judgmental, come on, and maybe some people that are angry, and now I'm not painting a, a broad, I know I'm painting with a broad brush here, not to say that every Christian is like that, but we live in a world where even Christians are fearful of sharing their faith and walking out their convictions. So let's, let's unpack this statement. Let's unpack this scripture here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone, not when anyone, if anyone. So that tells us that there is a choice, that you can't just stumble into Christianity. You can't just be a Christian because your mom and dad brought you to church. Come on, somebody. Like there is a reality that there is a choice that is made that I have to assume, I have to take on, I have to put Jesus into the deepest place of my soul and live in him, and it says, if anyone, regardless of their former lives or identification, come on, somebody, regardless. So, you're telling me, Brother Phil, that a murderer can go to heaven and receive Jesus? Well, yeah, Paul was a murderer. I mean, so the, the Bible says that. So, so, yes, if anyone, he doesn't put a condition on it, if anyone is in Christ. They are a new creation. Second part of that is in Christ. Paul mentioned this 82 times, over 82 times in the New Testament, this idea or thought of in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. In Christ, not in church. <laughs> Being in church is important, but even more important is to be in Christ. Because you can go to church and you can be in church, but you cannot be in Christ. So what does this look like? Jesus nor Paul talked about church activity being the foundation of our Christian life. The true litmus test of us being followers and believers of Jesus is if we are in Christ. Evidence. The evidence that someone is in Christ, here's the evidence, their life was transformed. This is why the Bible talks about Jesus in his discussion with Nicodemus, and he doesn't understand it. Jesus is like, unless a man is born again, he will no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus is like, well, how do I jump back into my mother's womb? And like, he's asking all these questions. He's like, no, 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 no. Unless you are born of Christ, 
you lay down your old life and you assume this new life that you will experience the life that Jesus died for you to give. As a new creation, what does it mean? Some notes, if you're taking notes, write it down. You know how I am. If you're not taking notes, write it down. Pull out your phone. Do what you need to do. First point, how, what does it mean to be a new creation? It means that you have a new relationship with God. It means you are adopted into a family with God now as your father. Jesus, there, there is a lot of depictions of who God is. And I love that Jesus broke it down like this. And, and when they, they came to Jesus, the disciples, they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. I said, Lord, teach us how to pray. So Jesus said, okay, when you go to pray, pray like this. First thing he says, our Father. He said, when you go to God, when you approach God, it's important to first recognize that he's your Father. When you are in Christ, you have now been adopted into a new family and you have a new dad. And for some of us, that's really good news. My dad is great. I love him. But I like God better. <laughs> it means I'm in right standing with God now because I'm in Christ. I've accepted him and I've chosen him as my Lord. Question for you. Can people look at your life and easily determine who your Lord is? Can they look at your life and say, you know Jesus? There's people that you'll meet too that you just say, there's something different about them. Now again, now everybody's not smiley and gregarious and jumping around and all happy like I get that. Like, but there should be evidence that there is a new landlord of our lives. How can you take a light and hide it under a basket? Like there should be something where people look at your life and they... There is something different. There's something significant. It means, when you're a new creation, it means that I'm under new management. I receive new marching orders. There is new love that I experience now. There is a new grace that I can walk in. There is peace that comes. And when you're in this new relationship, here's what I found. I found that new desires start to be formed. You give your life to Jesus, and here's what I want to tell you. And today, some of you need to make a decision to say, I'm done. I need to follow Jesus. I can't have one foot in, one foot out. I'm done. And what the expectation is, and maybe it's been preached to you with really bad and lazy theology, that give your life to Jesus and everything will be easy. <laughs> or give your life to Jesus and all your problems will go away. Whoo, you know that's a lie from the pit of hell. <laughs> but here's what happens. We, um, we are in relationship with God, and we are asking God to change our habits. We're asking him to change our habits, but I've found that God doesn't change our habits when, he, when we encounter Jesus. He changes our desires. Because your desires inform your habits. 
So in your prayer closet, if there's something that you continually struggle with, ask God to give you a heart like Jesus, to renew your mind, and as that happens, Jesus will give you new desires. New desires will start to take place. Does that make sense? Second thing, second point, what it means to be a new creation. I have a new destiny. I have a new destination. I have new direction that I'm headed. It means that simply this idea of repentance, you've heard it before, uh, you've heard the, 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 that Christianese word of repentance, all it means is I was walking like this, I met Jesus, and now I started walking like this. When we meet God, there's a different, when we encounter Jesus, there should be a different direction our life starts to head in. I, I don't know if, uh, before there was like, so for all the like Gen Xers and Millennials, yeah, like, there was like regular GPS that you had to like plug into your cigarette lighter. Remember those like garments? Come on, somebody. Like you'd have to plug them in and you would get like, you would uh, change directions and go somewhere and you, all of a sudden you would hear this voice that would say, recalculating, recalculating. And that's the audible sound of heaven that when you encounter Jesus, what happens is you turn around and the audible voice of heaven says, recalculating. It says we're now going a new direction. It says that there is a, the destination has changed now. We have updated the address of where we are headed. Recalculated. I was headed in one direction, and then I turn around. And what this means, because, again, we are still, even Paul identifies and says day by day, is I, I, is I die. He's basically saying I die daily is that it doesn't mean that from the moment we meet Jesus, the expectation from heaven is that we're sinless. It should mean, though, that we sin less. There should be a difference of how you were when you met Jesus. Each, not just that one time that you gave your life to the Lord, but each time you get on your knees and you encounter the risen Savior, there should be transformation that takes, that takes place. There should be a newness that takes place. You guys are in this series, this theme for the year of health, of new life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Creation. Life is found in creation. Appetite. What you feed grows. Right? You've heard it say like that. What you feed grows. What you starve dies. What are you feeding on? The idea of a new destination, new direction. Where you're headed. We're headed to heaven. That's our goal. Retirement is not our goal. Hello, believers of Jesus Christ. Retirement is not our goal. Heaven is our goal. Communion with Jesus is our goal. That's our end. That's our end result. A million dollars in our 401k is not our goal. And here's what I found is that your goal to determines what you consume or what you practice. So if, if I'm getting ready to run a marathon, which I don't know why I would do that. I just don't believe in that. In Jesus' name, like, I like running and exercising, but I mean, I have friends that run like 50-mile marathons. I'm just like, why? Like, what are you, who are you trying to prove? Anyhow, 
But if that's your goal, what you eat matters. Would you not say so? Like, you can't just go to, like, uh, like Grub or, like, some of these places. I mean, you can't just go and eat cheeseburgers. You can't just go to Kincaid's every day if you're training for a marathon. <laughs> so if we are in training for the goal of meeting Jesus, what are we consuming? What are we feeding on? Because when you have a new creation, if this plant was brand new and it was just started to sprout up and we identified it as a new creation, what you, even just as a living being, what you feed it matters. So this is important to identify what are the things that we're placing in our lives. What are the things that we are consuming? What is the news that we are consuming? What are the voices that we're allowing to speak in our lives? I don't want to get too far off. Third, third thing about what it means to be a new creation. It means that you have a new power. You have new power. John 14 15 through 7. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. When you are in Christ, you have a spiritual power that physical weakness cannot destroy. It's the power of Christ. There's a, a hidden vitality. Even um, the process of dying and death cannot quench this. It's the, the life of Christ. If you're in Christ, there's an inner serenity which adversity cannot disturb. Come on, somebody. You have a new power. You've now have been distributed a new power. This is the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. So what holds us back? What are the obstacles? What are the things that keep us from becoming and being new creations in Jesus? Two things that you will need to do to be a new creation. To live in Christ. Not go to church. So here, I'm going I'm to tell you. You ready? Say, I'm ready. All right. First thing, live fully surrendered. Fully surrendered. Surrender to completely give up your own will and subject your thoughts, ideas, and actions to the will of God. You allow God to govern you. In James... James 1.8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in his, all his ways. So what happens is we give our lives to Jesus and we say, I don't want to let go of this, but I want to embrace this. If I, uh, how could I with the, hold this microphone? It, it's just like if I tried to hold this microphone with one hand and pick up this table with one hand, I, I am going to be ineffective at doing one thing good 
I'm going to be very ineffective at being able to do anything good. I'm going to be very ineffective. But if I lay down this microphone, I'm going to be very effective at being able to pick up this table and taking it to where I need to go. So for some of you, there are some things that you need to put down, some things that you maybe need to get rid of so that you can fully surrender your life to Jesus. Here's what the life of a believer should look like. So there's a lot of ideas that we can say, this is what a Christian looks like, and this is what a Christian does, and I don't even really like too much of that, but that overgeneralization, because, you know, we're all fearfully and wonderfully made, and we're all unique and beautiful, and, I, and that's awesome, and I love the diversity of gifts and the diversities of personalities and ideas and thoughts and abilities in the body of Christ, but here is what life of every believer should look like, stability. Paul said, whether I'm, whether I'm a base, whether things are difficult, or whether I abound, they're great. I have learned to be content. The life of a believer should be defined by stability. The world is desperately looking for stability. Amen? Stability. To not get caught up in the, the patterns of the world. Romans 12.2 talks about it. It says, be conformed no longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renew, the renewing of your mind. Every day, new creation should be taking place. You should be re, there should be a recreation of your thoughts that, should, that takes place as a believer. When you're surrendered, you're no longer trying to live life Based on your own understanding, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own rationale. Lean not on just assuming that you know the answer to everything in life. Live fully surrendered to Jesus. Um, I'm, I, I just feel really compelled to, sh to tell you this. Um, I want to set some of y'all free today. You ready? Ooh. Stop trying to figure everything out. Stop it. Stop that. Don't do that. There are some things that God has for you that are for an appointed time. There are some things that God has for you to understand and to apply to your life for an appointed time. It's important that we fully surrender our lives to Jesus even when things don't make sense. All right, keep going. Second point of how do we live in Christ? What does it mean to be a new creation living in Christ? First thing was, Live fully surrendered. Second thing, let go of the past. Whoo, hallelujah. Let go of the past. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Your old sins, old habits, mistakes, passions, ambitions, foolishness, your old personality, your old prides, it is gone. If you're in new Christ, the old 
has passed. The new is here, not the new is coming. The new thing that God is desiring to do is not for next year. The new thing that God is desiring to do in Calvary Life DFW is for now. It's not for next year. It's new and it's for now. <clears throat> and here's, ooh, ooh. God is not concerned with changing your history. He's concerned with changing your identity. He's not concerned with erasing your mistakes so no one will ever know what you've done. But what he does is his grace covers us and he's not concerned with rewriting all your mistakes. He's concerned with you living in Christ and assuming his identity. For we are the righteousness of God through Christ. As we put on Christ, we are the righteousness of God. And it's important for us to forgive and let go of the past so we can be new creations. And, I, and I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, that new creations of Jesus do not hold grudges. There, it, it, uh, even Jesus was talking about this. It, it was such that it was very much before this new disposition of grace, before this new agreement, this new covenant, the way that the Jewish people, there was really an eye for an eye mentality. There was really a, of like, you killed my, my sibling, I'm going to kill your sibling. That was, that was this life. But grace steps on the scene in the form of Jesus and now, when they came to Jesus and said, uh, if, if my brother wrongs me, how many times should I forgive him? And he says, 70 times 7. Like, there is forgiveness. Your life as a believer and a follower of Jesus as a new creation should be defined by one who readily and easily forgives. Let's go of the past. Now, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. I can forgive you for what you've done to me, but what you did, it still broke a level of trust in me, and it's going to take a minute for us to allow that trust to be restored in our life. Does that make sense? What forgiveness does, though, it removes you from being able to, to feel the need to be the judge and the executioner. It allows God be God. Listen, nobody gets away with anything, believe me. Like, if you think this person did this to me and I want to make sure they get it back, like, the Bible says, do not be deceived, for God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. There are consequences that come, regardless of your ability to be angry or not at somebody. So it's important, to, as a new creation, that we don't live in this place of holding a grudge. Because we don't want to dam up the well or the streams of living water that the Lord wants to flow through our lives as new creations. Amen. So, new desires. What do we do from here? Hey, here's what I'll tell you is that there are some things that you need to give up. My sister, you could come up and play something spiritual on the keyboard. Um, there are new desires and beyond new desires there are new perspectives that some of you need to have 
Some of you say, oh, well, brother, I'm 80 years old. This is just what you get. This is just, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. This is just who I am. I want to tell you that that mentality is found nowhere in, in the New Testament. Renewal. Being transformed. I don't care whether, they're, whether you're 80 or whether you're 8 years old. There is something for you to receive from Jesus. A renewed perspective. A new mind. So you can live as the new creation that Jesus died for you to become. So what does this look like? As a new creation, what, is that, what does that life look like? What does someone that's a new creation look like? What, what do they experience? How do I see, what is the evidence now that somebody is a new creation? What in their life can I look at that says, ooh, something's different. That person you saw 20 years ago at the, at the reunion, or 30 years ago, whatever it is. Some of the expected outcomes is that you're able to walk in freedom without guilt or shame. I can tell you, I just said about forgiveness, and one of the toughest people to forgive is yourself. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. And it talked about God changing, not concerned with, being, with changing your history. People don't care about your past as much as you do. You know why? Because they can't see it. But you can. When you're driving down the road and you look out the window, the only person that can see, if you're driving a car with people, the only person that can see what's behind them is the person driving. And the enemy is constantly trying to get us in a place where we literally stare at the rearview mirror. You know what happens when you do that in a car for too long? Yeah, yeah, not good. It's, I mean, you, you, you drive off and... It's important that we don't live with guilt and shame. Jesus did not die for us to carry those things and for those things to be weighty on us. I'm so grateful that Jesus said, for take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy and my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're able to walk in our God-given destiny. We're able to experience the peace of God in an endless supply of grace and mercy. We're able to experience and live the abundant life that Jesus died to give us. We can put an end to wondering and worrying about my future. Ooh, somebody say amen. I love the scripture verse in Jeremiah. Uh, and, and Jeremiah is not like the prettiest book in the Bible. It's not like, so it's funny, we, we quote this verse, but it's such in the, in the middle of a very dark place for Jeremiah, who is being commissioned by God to communicate like bad news. He's saying to Jeremiah, he says, for I know the thoughts that I have towards you. I know the plans that I have for you to give you a hope and a future. Another translation is to, to, to give you an expected end. So we don't have to worry as new creations of Jesus. And I declare to some of you today, there are things that the enemy has stolen from you 
that God is going to place back into your life threefold. There are things that, there was a peace that you used to walk with that the enemy stole from you. And I want you to know today that as a new creation, that that peace is going to be restored to you. The greatest work of God was not creating something out of nothing. It was not when God's, we, we look at Genesis, God spoke and the world was formed. The greatest work of God that humanity and that the world will ever know is when he made saints out of sinners. This is the greatest prize of heaven is when God made us in his image and his likeness and gave Adam this ability and he handed the keys of life over to the enemy. And the enemy had the keys of life that he was dangling over humanity until Jesus stepped in. God gave all he had. You say, well, brother, brother Phil, God, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Y yes, but... But, but there was, the Bible also recognizes the enemy as the God of this age. Even, and again, oh man, I, I don't want to get too far into the theology of it, but Jesus, uh, 40 days of fasting, he goes up onto a mountain, or, or the enemy, he meets the enemy in the wilderness. Enemy takes him up to the, to the, uh, to the mountain. He says, uh, if you see, look at all the kingdoms in the world, he was like, if you bow down to me, I will give these to you. Many will say the enemy didn't have that authority. He actually did. He said, he said if you bow down and worship me, I will give you all these things. He said, and Jesus said, it is written that, that should, we should worship the Lord your God and no other. Jesus steps on the scene. God gave all he had. Jesus stepped on the scene and took back the keys. And he made a way for you and me. So today, you've, you've prayed the prayer. You say, I've been going to church for years, Brother Phil. I've been going to church for years, Brother Phil. I've done just fine for my, you like my voice there? You like my, that's my 80-year-old Texas person voice. Well, I've done just fine for myself, brother. Thank you very much. There was a, a man, a very wealthy man, whose name was Zacchaeus. He was doing really good. He was Jewish, so uh, he knew Jewish things. He knew probably God in a certain way. And uh, this Jewish tax collector who swindled people for his own personal gain had an encounter with Jesus. He had an experience with Jesus. So Jesus went to his house, and it changed everything for this tax collector. And he started doing things that tax collectors didn't do. He started giving everybody their money back, started doing all these things. Your life in Christ as a new creation will only be realized and understood when you start doing different things than you used to do before. Now, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. But we can choose to separate ourselves from his love. So this is important that we embrace this new life. We embrace these new desires. 
we recognize that heaven is our home. We hope this message was impactful to you. If you would like to hear more, please remember to subscribe. For more information, you can visit our pages on both Facebook and Instagram. God bless you and have a great rest of the week.